The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. On Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, let's read it, and I'll give a brief overview of this morning, and then try to finish the last two points. Galatians 2, verse 1 says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do." If you remember this morning, uh, what we were kind of focusing on was how to handle gospel opposition and how to do it the right way. Because that's what Paul was addressing here, you remember, in the church of, and, and where he wrote to here, is they were dealing with people coming in and saying, uh, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need something else. You need the law. And so Paul is trying to address this the correct way. And you know, it's interesting, he doesn't He doesn't even go to those people necessarily in that church who went to that church. Instead, he tells us of a story where he goes to Jerusalem and he meets with the apostles there. And so we see the first thing that he did that we talked about earlier was that he went out of respect. We saw this in verse two. He went out of respect. It says he went secretly to those. And so this was Peter, James, and John, no doubt. And he goes to them and he talks to them kind of on a one-on-one basis shares with them the gospel that he has been sharing that God has given him. And he does this and he respects their position in doing it. He didn't start murmurs. He didn't start any rumors. He went straight to the source, right? The people that could take action on it, the people that should take action on it. And when he went to them, the second thing is he, he didn't hide anything. He didn't hide anything. When we saw that in verse two, he says, I communicated with them the gospel which I Preach, And so he told them the gospel message. He was not ashamed of the gospel. Now that should remind you of another verse that Paul would write in Romans. Romans chapter one, verse 16, verse 17. How he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter who he was standing in front of. And so he shares with them everything, even so much so that he brings Titus along with him so that they can see Titus saying, this is the gospel that I have shared. You see the change in this man's life. Listen to his story, right? Listen to what God has done for him, no doubt. And so he was not hiding 
anything. And in verse three through five, we focus on the fact that he was very bold in what he was sharing and how he was sharing. You know, talking in front of people of this great importance can be very intimidating, can be a difficult task to stand in front of somebody like that and to share with them, maybe, maybe not knowing what they were going to say, how they would react or how they would respond, but yet boldly, Paul would stand there, speak the gospel to them regardless of what they were going to do, regardless of what they were going to say. And then we kind of ended on like a little mini sermon this morning, focusing on the liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us, might not bring us back into bondage and what that would look like, what that means for us, that we're not held down by the law anymore, that Christ has saved us and freed us from the bondage of sin. And so we must not go back to that bondage. And when we add to the gospel, it just brings us back to that bondage. I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to who have been raised in churches who this is their problem. When they come into my office and they, they talk about, man, I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this and almost always I'm dealing with doubt of my salvation. And as we start working through it, what we see is, so you think you can add something to your salvation. I mean, that's what you're getting to. That is like the number one struggle with church people, with people raised in church. And so it's, we, can't, we can't look at this and think, no, that, that's foreign. No one's going around telling people to be circumcised anymore, right? We, we, can't, we can't do that. We can't say that because this is very prevalent still today. Many different people still teach a bondage that you must be held by that. But we know that Christ has freed us. And this is the message that Paul, no doubt, spoke to Peter, James, and John. And he did it boldly. Well, I wanna get through verse six through verse 10. And so as we get to verse six, we see our fourth point. Not only done out of respect, done without hiding, done boldly. Then the fourth thing is we see as we confront people with gospel opposition, we do it without personal favoritism. Now, I think as we read verse six, it can come across as very, very rude. But from those who seemed to be something Whatever they were makes no difference to me. Now, I dare say if your child said that, you would smack them on the mouth, right? That was not polite. That was not how you respond. I don't think Paul's trying to be rude here, but I think because we already saw him respect their position, right? He's already went to them. He's honored them in that. And so that's not his point. That's not what he's trying uh, to get across, I think what we're being hearkened back to is Galatians 1, 11 through 12, which I referenced this morning. But in Galatians 1, 11 through 12, it says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I, what, what I think is coming out here is, is him saying, it didn't matter to me what they said. I was still going to be preaching the same gospel because I know what the Lord Jesus Christ has told me to say. I know the gospel message that he has given me. It's very clear and I see him working in the midst of it as I have opportunity to preach it and teach it. I think that's what's trying to come across here, what Paul is saying. And Paul, what, what we see in this example is we have to be willing to speak up 
when it comes to gospel issues, no matter who it is we're talking to. And again, remember, he went to them discreetly. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't trying to do any of that. He was trying to do it the right way. But he had a concern because people were coming from Jerusalem, saying they were coming on behalf of the apostles, saying the gospel Paul is teaching is not correct. So that was a big deal. So he's saying, in his mind, it's, I don't care who you are and who you think you are. We must discuss this. We must talk about this. And so that's something that can be very difficult. That's something that can be very challenging. Again, some of you may have had to do this with parents. I know a lot of families in our church that baptism is a hard thing for them because of their background in the religion that they came from. And so it's hard for them to have to go to their parents you know, and say, well, I wanna, I wanna honor my father and mother and I, you know, I wanna obey them. Scripture tells me to do that. Well, yeah, that's true, but above and beyond is the gospel message. And we must stay true to the message of the gospel. And if the gospel says this is what Christ has done for you through grace, then you need to let your parents know that, right? You, you have to, regardless if they're parent, your parents or not. We can't show favoritism to them. We can't just, okay, yeah, that's good for you because really that is not loving at all. That's not a loving way to handle that situation at all. And so Paul is taking a step forward saying, I know that you're the apostles, but if you're teaching this different gospel, this is not correct. We need to deal with it, right? We need to talk about it. We need to discuss it. Well, thankfully, for us, and as we see in Scripture, as you get to verse 9 and 10, you see that the apostles actually took joy in what was happening in Paul's ministry. They, they were very happy with what was taking place in the life and in the work of Paul, how God was working through him. So glad that they, it says they joined together. It's probably the sentence of all these passages that you've heard before, right? The right hand of fellowship. They handed to him the right hand of fellowship. And that's important, right? They were saying, we like what's happening here. We agree with what you are doing. Continue to go and serve the Gentiles. Continue to go and share the gospel with them. This is important for us because we have to know that a win for the Lord is a win for us regardless of where that win is taking place. Because a lot of times what happens, I think, in our life is we start to get frustrated if it's not happening in our church and it's happening somewhere else. Well, that's a way of paying, playing favoritism. We must be glad if, if the church down the street, and we're going to get to what unites us in a minute, their theology is good and right, we should be glad when God causes blessings on that church. You know, we should be glad when God is doing things there. We should be glad when we see that missionaries overseas are having great success, that the Lord is, is doing great things in some other country. We should praise God for those successes that he is giving to them because that is our success as well because we're one body, we're one family. And so when our family rejoices, we rejoice. Same way when one of our family hurt, we hurt. And so we have to remember that we cannot play favoritism. And I think we've all probably been guilty of that at times when you drive by a church and you're like, man, they're packed. And you drive to your church and you're like, we're not packed. Man, that stinks. Or what's going on? Well, well maybe God's blessing them. Let's praise God for that. Let's be happy if God is blessing them and working through them in the ministry. Now, I think this needs to be said too with dealing with personal favoritism. 
and done without personal favoritism. I think this is one of the biggest hangups in churches today. Uh, Christian celebrities, huge followings. It really doesn't make any sense, to be honest with you, that Christian celebrities, that little phrase, that shouldn't make sense. That, that shouldn't be put together. Uh, but it is. In today's day and age, there's a lot of positives uh, of being able to get information. There's pastors that you can go and hear their sermons and messages, and I, I love that fact. I, I do that. But the downside of that is they start to become a celebrity. And it can get to the point even to where everything they say is golden all the time. And if your pastor doesn't sound like them, then you don't have a good pastor, right? If they're not as, as charismatic as this guy, then I don't, we, have, we don't have the right pastor. We should get somebody else. And we start to have this, these followings where we start to follow these people. And even a lot of people get taken away from the local church as they play this personal favoritism to these people. And they're driven to them. I mean, every pastor, every teacher has had, I mean, even just this week, you know, I had someone say to me, well, Pastor Tim, you do a good job. You're no David Jeremiah. I'm not that old. I don't want to be him. He's old. I would rather they compare me to someone else, maybe, um, for age reasons. Uh, But, like, are, are you, I mean, do you want me to be him? Do you think if I'm him that our church will have the same success as his? Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, to me, that sounds like a, a favoritism thing that, that creeps in, right? And so I, I think it happens with music as well. I don't wanna just harp on preachers. If, if you've been around me at all, you, you know my dealings with music and a lot of people get it twisted. I think music is good. I think music is called for in scripture, but I think we worship worship. And I think we worship Christian, Christian musicians so much so that what I don't like is I don't like uh, a group of my church going to a concert on Saturday night and then coming to church on Sunday morning and saying, gosh, we just don't know how to worship like the Christian concert. That's not corporate worship. That's not the local church. That's Christian entertainment. I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad that maybe truth was even said there. That's great, but that is not what we do here. And so if you're comparing the two, you're comparing apples and oranges. But the problem is, is we follow these Christian celebrities and that's what they say. Come to a night of worship. Come to a night of what church should be. And so we start to think this is what church should be. That is why if you look around, well, tonight's a little different. All of our youth are at a road tour. That's why it's hard to get youth to things like this because they've been persuaded. This is what church should be like. And they just don't get it. Those old people don't get it. They don't know how to worship. They don't love God like they should. Because if they did, everybody would be standing. Everybody would be clapping. We'd be on fire the whole time. That comes from personal favoritism of things that we like. Imagine, I'm going off on this more than I expected. Imagine if we went back a long time ago to when our town just had one church. You're You're gonna pick up and walk three hours to the next church because your pastor speaks monotone? No, if he's speaking truth, if he's teaching God's word how he should, then you should be faithful there, right? And that's what people did. Well, today we're allowed to hop around, we're allowed to shop, and this is what it comes down to, completely, is personal favoritism. And I have a real struggle of giving into that. And so if you ever come to me and you say, Pastor Tim, 
You're just not as exciting. I will gladly say, well, find someone who is. You're not very exciting either. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just, just being honest with you. <clears throat> so Paul addressed this when it came to personal favoritism. And, and you'll remember, Paul had to address this before, or he does it again in 1 Corinthians chapter three. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. You'll remember this, is when he's talking to the Corinthians church and he says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So this isn't the only place where Paul deals with this. He had to deal with this as himself. People were like, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of Apollos. And he was like, no, you're a follower of Christ. Paul and Apollos are one. We both serve the same God. We have the same gospel message. Stop picking favorites. Serve the Lord and serve the Lord with gladness. So we, we see Paul addressing that. So when handling gospel opposition, we cannot let personal favoritism get in the way. We must take a stand on what truth is. And this is what gets to the end of verse nine and 10. It must be done with unity in mind. As we approach somebody or as we approach a group to handle a situation where we feel like maybe the gospel is being mistreated or misrepresented, what needs to be done in our mind isn't, I cannot wait to excommunicate these people. What needs to be in our mind is I cannot wait to be restored to these people. I cannot wait to hear that it's all just been a misunderstanding, right? I can't wait to hear that it's like the telephone game. And when it got to me, it's just wrong. We want to be united, but we see what they were united on in verse nine, right? It says, when they perceived the grace that had been given to me, when they perceived the grace that had been given to me, when they saw that the gospel that the Lord gave to Paul is the exact same gospel that he has given to us as the apostles, then they were united. Not before then, but that is when they were united. It wasn't, oh, I, we see Titus here and well, okay, you're doing good things, keep going. No, it was, this is the truth what you are saying. We have the same gospel message, thus we can be united. In order to be united as churches or as believers, it must be centered on the truth. It has to be centered on the truth. And I don't know if I can harp on this enough, but it must be said over and over and over again. As a church, as Christians, we can only partner with gospel faithful churches and people. And that's important. And, and that takes a lot of work to do that faithfully and to understand that. So a warning that I would give to you very highly is don't walk in Walmart or walk in Target or Barnes and Noble or go shopping on Amazon. And when you see that it says number one Christian bookseller, best bookseller, you buy it that person probably not a good author, just my guess. I was just in Target this week, walking in Target. They had almost all the lights off. It was a money-saving thing. I don't know what was going on. I walked past the book section and there it is, a Christian author right on the end cap. I wanted to take them all and hide them. I'm like, if you're gonna put a Christian author, not this one, not this one, because this is what people are gonna read and they're gonna think this is what our faith is. They're gonna think this is what the gospel is. And that is not true. And so we have to know who we are uniting with, who we are standing with. 
when it comes to gospel issues. Now, don't get me wrong. I can, I can join hands with all kinds of people when it comes to let's stop the trafficking of young girls. Right? I can stand with all kinds of people and things like that. But when it starts coming to because we're Christian this, are you a Christian? Like I have to ask that question. What is the gospel? How are you saved? How do you believe scripture speaks to this? Because if we don't align, then we are not united because I don't believe that we're brothers and sisters in this. This is one of the reasons I got rid of Facebook. Or I still have it, but I don't look at it hardly ever. I look at it here because I'm one of the administrators on our church's one. But it used to sadden me seeing partnerships of people I knew together. It just wasn't healthy. Just, not a, just wasn't a good thing. I, I know it not to be, but because they were friends in school or they served on something in our community together, personal favoritism was shown and the gospel gets pushed aside for friendship. And as a result, I think our word gets watered down. And so we have to be faithful that when we partner together that we're centered on truth. And that even goes within our church as a church body and as a church family. You might not like everything I do. I might not like everything you do. We might not even get along with everybody in here. But there can be one thing that we can agree on and that is the gospel. And we can partner together to serve God together for the sake of the gospel even though we don't really like each other even though we're not gonna go hang out later after church. And that's okay, that's okay. If we all, both know we've been saved by the grace of God, apart from him, we're just sinners, lost and rebellious, but because of him, we can come together and share the truth, then we can join together and be centered in unity on the gospel message. But then in verse 10, in uniting together, this is what they asked of Paul. It said, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so as we are centered on truth, as we join together, we must be focused on ministry. This is what unites us. Focusing on ministry, on, on serving, on, on being the hands and feet that Christ has called us to be here on earth. You see, the Jerusalem church was encouraging Paul to remember the poor, and probably what they're talking about here is the Jerusalem church. That's really probably who they're talking about. If you want to turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, this will be a very common passage. You'll, you'll know exactly what this is. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, after Peter had talked at Pentecost, and we see all these people come to know the Lord, all of a sudden there was a problem in the church. Man, we got a lot of people here. What are we going to do with them? And so in Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And then this is where the need kicks in. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You see, this need was getting great to where they had sold what they could sell. 
You know, there was a great need in the Jerusalem church. And so a lot of what they were asking is saying, Paul, don't forget about us here. We, we have needs here. And one of Paul's journeys, and this is what I was referencing this morning, to Jerusalem was to give a love offering that he had collected from the churches that he had started. And I think this is, one of the, this is what he's referencing when he's saying he brought Titus with him and had this discussion. This is why I think it's a little different than the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. But he was doing that. Paul's saying, this is exactly what I want to do. This is what I was doing. See, he's again showing, look how we align. I don't differ from them. My gospel message isn't different from them. And what I want to be doing is not different from them. I want to meet the needs of the poor. I want to help those who are in need. And so Paul says, I want to do that. This is what we do as churches, as we unite together, we cannot unite together just to talk to each other or just to teach each other, right? Or just to have classes together. We unite on the truth, but we also then focus on ministry. We serve, we go, we do. A lot of people today don't wanna do that. They wanna come into church and they say, I want you to feed me and then I'm going to go and empty myself out. I'm going to come back and you're going to feed me again. So that I, and then you, I'm going to go try to make it another week and you're going to feed me again. But the problem is we are called to go and to feed. We're called to go and to serve and to help and to minister and to share the gospel. We're not saved to sit. We're saved to go and we're saved to do. And we see this all over God's word. You just simply cannot get away from it. Too often, I don't, if you're like me, I get complacent and it becomes easy to come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, on Wednesday. It gets easy to get into these routines, maybe re reading my Bible on my own, praying myself. But you start to forget about the serving. You start to forget about the work, even so much so that when service opportunities come up, it's like, oh, stop bugging me about that. I've got a yard to mow. I've got things to do. Right, I got activities that I have. I got a family that I got to do this with or whatever. But we must be reminded, just like the apostles were reminding Paul, that no, we need to remember those in need. We need to remember those people who are around us that we can serve, that we can minister to. And we know that God will use that to open doors for gospel opportunities, for, for uh, chances to share the gospel and to share the good news with those who need it. And so as we look and wrapping this up at how to handle gospel opposition, number one, we do it out of respect. Number two, we do not hide anything. Three, we do it boldly. We share the gospel boldly. Number four, we do not show personal favoritism, which I think is very difficult. And then lastly, we do it with unity in mind. We do it to be unified. One of the things that's very troubling in the Christian world as you look at the Twitter world and the blogs and all this stuff is you don't see much unity. You do not see much grace given. You see a tweet that has like 140 letters in it or something like that and you see somebody taking that and running with it. Going so far as to label this person, they're, they're not a Christian anymore. No one should ever read their books. No one should ever follow them because of this little statement. They forget about the 30 years prior in ministry 
You know, they forget about everything else that they have ever done. And they just, they just go out there. It, it, it's, we want to tear each other down. I really think that that goes to that celebrity culture. It's a way for that person to get puffed up, to get more clicks, to get more likes, to be seen more, to get a headline that everybody will click on. Uh, we've taken that for media. Right, as a Christian world, we harp on media. We harp on culture, the way that they do that. But yet we've gladly accepted that into the church and we must get away from that. We need to be united with other brothers and sisters in the Lord because you and I cannot do this on our own. We cannot reach this world on our own. You know, I, I'm leaving to go to Panama in August. And to be honest with you, I'll be completely useless there. I don't speak their language. I'll be completely useless there. I mean, I can move things. I can give people shots. I like giving people shots, actually. I enjoy it. I can take blood pressure. I can check their sugar levels. The doctor can ask me for medicine and I can find it and hand it to them. All these things I can do. I can fit somebody with glasses. But when it comes to the real reason why we're there, that person could be asking me point blank, how do I get to know Jesus? I'll just stare at them and have no idea what they're saying. No idea what they're saying. Unless another Christian from Panama will come beside me and they speak a little bit of English and I say, what are they saying? And then they take over. And then I get to watch how God, will, how God works within his body when we're united on the gospel and to see, man, I, I couldn't do anything in this situation. And this, this church member from in Panama with six people in their church just had the opportunity to share the gospel with this person. That's being united. Right, that, that's serving faith. They're gonna ask me when I get there and they do it all the time. And again, I think this is playing to favoritism, but Pastor Tim, do you wanna preach? You know, do you wanna teach? And I want, no, I don't speak their language. It will not make sense. It will not come and go across. Well, we can get an interpreter. How about you preach, Pastor whoever, right? And I mean, I see God work in those things. And the reason I do that, honestly, is I don't want them to get saved because some white American is sharing the gospel with them. And that's my fear, that they're gonna think because of that, that they should be moved. No, I want them to be moved by the gospel. And that pastor right there who speaks fluent Spanish can share the gospel just as well as me. And so let them share it. Again, I think that's being united. And so as you face opposition to the gospel, as you're talking with your family, as you're talking with your friends, as you're hearing it, I want you to keep your ears and your eyes open and prayerfully saying, God, is this the gospel message? Is it truth? And if you come across where, no, it's not truth, I hope you remember to do it the right way, to do it boldly, right? To not hide anything and to share with them the truth, regardless of what may be the outcome from it. Paul says, it don't matter to me what they say. This is the truth. I think that's, the, that's how we need to approach that as well. Prayerfully, hoping they'll respond the right way. But understanding, a lot of times, they won't. They just won't. They'll be angry, they'll be upset, but that's okay. We must be faithful to sharing the true gospel message. Let's bow together, let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us to uh, be humble before you and to really examine even ourselves as we study your word as we share with other people 
God, we want to share the gospel correctly. So help us to do that. God, if we, if we worry that we might say the wrong thing, then I ask that you would help us to study, help us to prepare ourselves, help us to be ready for questions, help us to know those things. God, you've given us so many resources. You've given us so many great minds from the past who've wrote books, who've got commentaries, all these things out there that help us. You've given us your word that we can read each and every day. You've given us the Holy Spirit to give us power so that even in our weakness, even as we stumble through trying to talk with somebody about who Jesus is, you can still work mightily. So God, help us to be bold as we recognize a gospel that is not the gospel to be able to take a stand. God, and God, I pray that we would do it out of love, not out of wanting to cast stones, but out of love because God, there are a lot of people who are very confused right now on what the gospel is. They would stand up and say they are Christians, but yet when you talk to them, they're basing that on their own works, on their own merits. They're basing it on a, on a baptism or something that their parents decided long time ago. They're basing it on these false things. And so God, I pray that out of love, we would share the truth with them. God, help us to daily be praying for our lost family, our lost friends, our lost coworkers. God, give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them and help us to boldly do that and faithfully do that. And God, I do pray, and maybe this is selfish, but I pray that we would see fruit from that. God, I wish everybody in here this year would have the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus, that they would just see that you working in someone's life and God, that that would just embolden them even more to do it more and more and more. And there's many people in our town right now in Monroe who are lost. And God, as we leave this place, we will scatter all over the county. And even this morning, as all of us left, we scattered all around the county of Monroe. And God, you have placed us in all these different places. I ask that you would help us to be light in a dark world. And help us to really understand it is good news and not to shy away from it, but to share it as good news to a lost world. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs that you give us to sing that are good songs to sing to you. God, as we leave, help us to continue to worship you. Help us to continue to meditate on your word, on the truths of it. And God, I pray this week that you would embolden us you would give us a passion and a joy to serve you each and every day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.